All right, well, the advent of Facebook was a sad one for me. Yes, the advent of Facebook was a sad one for me because that's when I realized that many of my high school friends that I went to church with weren't actually Christians. Um, so I went to a, a very, very small church uh, in, in high school, and I was, a, I was a part of the youth group there, and the youth group was four times the size of the church. So the church was probably like 40 people big, um, <laughs> but the youth group was at least 150 or more uh, on that. And there was something special that was happening at that youth group. Uh, there, was, there was a buzz about it. You could just tell there was some life there. Uh, people who didn't go to church came to the youth group. Uh, we, we saw conversions, and we saw uh, baptisms, and we, we, saw, we had you know, the kids from the, the chess team were sitting next to, to, the, to the girls from the dance team. Like, <laughs> those two didn't mix usually. You, know, you had, you had the, the punk goth um, sitting next to the team captains of the football team. It was like something beautiful was happening here, and I was just like, oh, what a beautiful thing that I got to be a part of this. And then Facebook just ruined it all. Uh, so Facebook came out my sophomore year in college, I know I'm that old, uh, but say Facebook came out my sophomore year of college, and that's when, uh, it's probably still true this day, people didn't have as many filters on what they would post online, <laughs> but it came out, and everyone's posting all of their party photos um, of them getting drunk and, what, and whatnot, and things that just didn't embody the fruits of the Spirit um, that came out on Facebook, and I just was devastated. Like, I just remember, like, <laughs> looking at that and being like, no, them too? No, what happened to them? No, like I, I didn't want to, I like got off Facebook. I was like, I don't want to, I don't want to know. I was, bl- I, I was blissfully naive for so long and then it happened. And obviously it's not Facebook's fault. It was my own, uh, you know, naivety uh, to actually see what was before me. And all Facebook did was reveal some of the truth of maybe we weren't reaching people as, as well as we, we, we thought we were. Um, and so that, that, was, that was a hard one. But today... We're going to look at many, many of the disciples in Jesus' time leave him too. There's many in Jesus' time and the early disciples that actually leave Jesus. And so the title of my sermon today is, wait for it, Too Legit to Quit. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you very much. Uh, Your first order of homework today is to go home and watch this 14-minute 14-minute cinematic masterpiece. I think the song's maybe three minutes long, but there's a very long buildup. That's just fantastic. I didn't know. It's on YouTube. Go check that out. Um, but next, <laughs> we're going to look at the, our, our three points this way. We're going to look at the dropouts, the shoutouts, and the fakeouts. Uh, so the dropouts, the shoutouts, and the fakeouts. Uh, so the dropouts. Uh, our passage today begins uh, in verse 60, and it says, On hearing it, many of his disciples said, This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? And so given the context, asking what's the question, what is this hard teaching? Um, The the passage right before that is where Jesus is saying, you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And so they're saying, this is a very hard teaching. Uh, Drinking his blood, (laughs) eating his flesh, um, like... What? (laughs) Is everyone on the same page with this? Uh, I just watched this show, Midnight Mass. Is this the same thing that we're talking about? Um, If you don't know what I'm talking about, it's pretty creepy. But (laughs) 
It's not a hard teaching in the sense that it's just complex and difficult. That's not what it's saying. The word there for hard is the word, the Greek word skleros, which isn't hard to understand, but it's saying that it's, it's harsh or offensive. So they're saying, this is, a, this, is, this is an offensive saying that you've told us. Um, as you heard last week, Jesus said some pretty offensive things. And, and for, for many of them, it was so intolerable that when Jesus speaks out, they drop out. And that's, that seems to be true a lot, that when Jesus actually speaks out, many drop out. Many actually leave the faith. In verse 66, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. And that is just a scary passage, that, that many who were with Jesus, who walked with Jesus, who heard from Jesus' mouth, many turned away from him. The emphasis is, is possibly that everyone but the 12 turned away from Jesus. And it's this, this, this scary and sad passage that, that they, they walked with him and as soon as he spoke something that didn't confirm what they already believed, they leave him. And so they, they knew he was the Messiah. That was good news to them. They, they, they knew that he was going to bring this new kingdom. That was good news. They saw all these miracles. They said, that's, that's pretty fantastic. I'll get a part of that. But then when he, they heard the, the, the insulting statement that they needed Jesus to die for them, that's when they left. Now, why is, that, why is that insulting? That Jesus says, eat my flesh and drink my blood. That's, that's the insulting statement, that you need me. Now, why is that insulting? Well, anyone get any Christmas gifts over the holidays that were kind of offensive? <laughs> like you got a book that said, you know, how to lose weight after Christmas. <laughs> and you're like, oh, gee, thanks. <laughs> let me put my eggnog down. <laughs> Oh, let me move the monkey bread uh, <laughs> to put my eggnog down. You're like, oh, gosh, thanks. You're like, okay, cool. I appreciate that. Or maybe it wasn't how to lose weight for you. Maybe it was like how to make friends and not be awkward around people. <laughs> You're like, thank you. Uh, some of y'all may have gotten some awkward presents, uh, some offensive things. But this is what happens. Jesus is giving them a gift <laughs> that is challenging them. That is actually, it's, it's a gift to them, but it's challenging them whether they know it or not. And Jesus is saying that you must eat my flesh and drink my blood because without my sacrifice, you're doomed. And they drop out. And this is how we find out who the true disciples are or not. Because a disciple at the bare minimum is just someone who follows Jesus. A disciple is just someone who follows someone. So you can be a disciple of, of your professor. You can be a disciple of, of whoever. You're, you're just following them. And so by its very nature, at the very base level, if you're no longer following them, you're not a disciple of them. Okay? That, that's kind of bare minimum logic. However, what I want to preface here before we go further into this is that this verse, I think, has been used by many um, pastors to, to put an emotional pressure on their people uh, into believing that if you leave their church, then you have left Christ, right? And so that, 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 that's what I want to make sure we, we preface again. That, and so let me be clear that if you, if you leave a cult, you're not leaving Christianity, right? If you leave a clique, you're not leaving Christianity. There, there's, there's a, there's a, let's, 
let's just be honest. That there's, there's a good type of leaving that, that, that can happen, right? We don't want to conflate leaving in general with leaving Christ. And so let me just say this. As painful as it is, if someone does leave uh, our church, and it is painful, and I, <laughs> it's too painful for me, right? We also need to remember that we're just one tiny little expression of the church. We're just one, one, little, one little, you know, cul-de-sac of, of the church right here. Um, and so when someone leaves, that, that, that's sad, but also we, know, we need to know that the, the, the world's bigger, that the church is bigger. Like, if someone was in the Branch Davidians, let's say, and, and they leave David Koresh before the, the big shootout, I think they would be happy that they left <laughs> right before the big shootout and the, and the big firestorm, right? I think they would be glad this past week was the one-year anniversary of the insurrection that happened um, under the banner of Christianity. And if when one breaks away from that type of Christianity, and we saw those, those, those images all throughout it, and they follow the Jesus not from that Christianity, but the Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount, I think that's a good thing, that if you follow that type, that, that, that Christ. I think they're in a good place. And so the church is bigger than we think, is what I just want to say here. Like earlier in our, in our Apostles' Creed, we affirmed that we believe in the one holy Catholic church, which is, some of us are going, we're not a part of that, are we? <laughs> right? That, that's, you could say, the one holy global church. Right? Universal church. We're a, part, we're a part of many other churches. And there is a beauty of learning from the global church. Like, if we just think that all that is the church is what's happening right here in Waco or even right here in Mosaic, then we're missing out. Like, there's some beautiful things happening in Uganda, and even in Afghanistan. We go, like, there's some wonderful things the Holy Spirit is up to, and if we're not, if we're not listening to it, then we're going to miss it. And so let's listen to the global church and, and, and learn from them. I think that we need to see that the church is bigger than we know. And so, but many times, we want here to just lace Christianity with What's happening here with the American dream or with greed or with power or with wanting to be, to be liked or loved? And I think what, what we try to do a lot now is try to untangle it all, like trying to untangle Christianity from cultural Christianity. That's not what's happening here. Okay? So I think that's, that, that sometimes we realize our cultural moment is a little bit different than this cultural moment. People are actually following Jesus and leaving Jesus they're not leaving cultural Christianity. They're leaving Christ, right? And so they're hearing some of the things that Christ says, some of the offensive things, and they're like, I don't believe that. I, I, don't, I, I don't follow that, that type of stuff. And so they no longer follow Christ. And you see, there, there's a type of person who, who sees Christians who, who deal with depression in a very positive way, and they go, I, I want that. Or they see how Christians respond to, to grief. Or they see how Christians are, are, have, have this hope um, how they have dealt with their anger or their resentment in healthy ways, and they're like, I want that. I want to follow that. Why wouldn't I want that type of assistance in my life? And so then they follow Christ. And let's just be clear, that's not bad, right? There, there are some good things that, that, that Christianity can be helpful, and that's not bad, and I just want to say to start with. To start with, because there's times when it's, you're gonna, it's going to be hard, Right? So those things are good. Christianity um, isn't just asking, will this help me? Christians in Christianity don't just ask, will this, this religion and doctrine help me? They're asking, is it true? And if it's true, what do I need to do based on the, the, the claims of Christianity? What is it demanding of me? 
And now I, now I respond to that. And so, yes, I'm a sufferer, and I need Jesus to come and help me. I need that help. But first, I'm a sinner that needs to be saved. And so does, does Jesus help you? Of course he does. <laughs> of course he does. He will feed your soul and bring you great delight and peace. But he's also going to ask you to die to yourself. And that's not really a great, like, message. <laughs> it's not easily marketable. <laughs> that Jesus is going to say, you need to die to yourself. And Jesus is going to have some offensive claims for us about, you know, how we use our money, about who we open up our homes and our hearts to, about, you know, how we, how we respond to the pleasures in our life. Are we addicted to them? And, and once we start speaking into these things, many, many will leave Jesus too, right? Even here today, ask yourself, why do you believe? Why, why do I believe? Is it because of the status, because it's, it's culturally acceptable here, it would, it would be awkward if I didn't affirm it? Why do I believe? Am I convinced by the claims of Christianity? That Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? Or have I mingled something into that? Or I'm here for, it for other reasons? And so I want to say we need to come to grips with that today. And so we've looked at the dropouts, but now I want to look at the shoutouts. Um, after seeing... Everyone leave. Jesus asks uh, this penetrating question to his disciples in verse 67. Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? <laughs> I mean, you just think like how sad this moment is that, that all of his followers who saw him do these miraculous works and these healings have left him and he's looking at his disciples and just like, I guess it's just y'all. Y'all going to leave too? Is this it? I mean, you got to think of how, how, how critical this moment is. What's going through their minds? Everyone else is left. Are y'all going to leave too? But the question, I think, is, is not actually asked more for, for Jesus' sake. I think what he's doing is he, it's more for their sake. He's giving them an opportunity to articulate what they actually believe. Like, they need, they need to articulate it more than he needs to hear it. And maybe that's a question for you and me today. When others leave, what will you do? How firm are we in our convictions? It's easy to believe when there's like a benefit to it, but what if the winds shift and it becomes unpopular, un uncomfortable to believe? Well, Peter responds with, with both a, a absolutely beautiful statement, but at the same time, it's also painfully naive. Um, and sometimes it's hard to see that. Verse 68 Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. It is beautiful what Peter says here, that where else are we going to go? To whom shall we go? Like, this is it for me, Jesus. Like, we've left everything for you. We've investigated the alternatives, we, 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 we've, we realize that you're not easy to live with. Uh, you embarrass us. <laughs> you frighten us. Uh, we don't understand you at times. We, we see you doing some things that just confuse us and scare us and blow us, blow us away. You offend the people that we think we shouldn't be offending, and you hang out with the people that I don't know if we should be hanging out with, right? Jesus is probably pretty uncomfortable to live with, but still, Peter says, to whom shall we go? 
Oh, I, w- I hope we can all say that. Because what he's saying is you have the words of eternal life. You're it for us. We've banked everything on you and you bring us life. Jesus' words meet our deepest needs. His words deliver us from our sins and our fears. Your words are the most remarkable words we've ever heard. They explain us to us. Like when I read scripture, scripture reads me. They explain me to me. They are life in themselves. They satisfy us. And there's nobody who speaks like you do, Jesus. Nobody understands life like you do. And that's what holds us. And if that's how you look at Jesus, where else can you go? No matter what happens in the world, where else can you go? Who else can measure up to that? But then Jesus says earlier in this statement, or in this this section, a weird comment in verse 63. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. Um, (laughs) Which is a very confusing statement in the midst of all this. He's not against the flesh. Jesus isn't against the flesh. In fact, Christianity is probably the most pro-flesh, uh, uh, body, physical religions in all of, the, all of the world, right? Jesus is not against that. Jesus is very pro this world. He's saying, without the Holy Spirit igniting your flesh, we are lifeless. And then goes on to say in 63, to, to back that up, the words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. The words bring us to life. They contain life. They're they're jam-packed with the Holy Spirit. Jesus' words are jam-packed with the Holy Spirit. And so when we want to meet Jesus, we want to feast on his words, and we come alive. It's not hard to see that there's an allusion to Jeremiah 15, 16, where the prophet has this, this great phrase. He says, when your words came, I ate them. I ate your words. They were my joy and my heart's delight. Have you ever feasted or eaten Christ's words where you say, I'm going to chew on them. I'm going to digest them. I'm going to absorb every last bit of nutrition from this word of God. I need to to get all of the life out of it. And so Peter's words are absolutely beautiful. And I hope this is how we can see the scriptures. But they're also painfully naive as well. Peter says, where shall we go? You have the words of life. Then in verse 69, he says, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Is there anything wrong with that statement? On the surface, no. Like, everyone else is left but the twelve. They are left because they still believe and have come to know that he is the Holy One of God. But it seems like the way Peter is expressing this and is articulating this is kind of somewhat pretentious, which is par for the course for for Peter, right? (laughs) It's almost as if he's saying him and his disciples are are cut above all the other disciples. Uh, Peter's words might also be taken in the sense of where he's saying, like, he's he's doing Jesus a favor to stick with him. Like... (laughs) Well, it's a good thing you have us, Jesus. <laughs> we'll never leave you, right? Because we believe. We believe. And if you didn't think that that was, a, that was a naive statement, there's no way then to square it with Jesus' response to this. And that will lead us from the shout-out to the fake-out. The fake-out occurs when they're given this free pass to leave, and then they stay for now. Because... Probably the most famous name in scripture, if you're not even familiar with Christianity, besides Jesus, would be Judas. 
No one wants to name their kid Judas. Why? Because we know what it is. It's, it's the quintessential picture of a faker, of a, someone who's going to betray you, of a betrayer. And then we all, even if you do know Peter, if you know his story, you know that he does believe, but he's also famous for his own betrayal of Jesus and his own lack of belief, even after his great statements of faith. Even his faith falters. And I want to say that's good news for you and me. Do you ever feel like a fake? Do you ever feel like you're, you're the fake one? Like you're, you're going through the motions that you're not even sure you believe this. Do you, ever, do you ever have those moments where you kind of go to, to, to some dark places and just say, I just want to scrap this. I, I don't even know if I believe this stuff anymore. I know I do. In those dark moments, you're going, I don't even know if I believe this. And it's in those moments that I'm so grateful for passages like this. Because I'm grateful that Jesus says, I will not even allow a whisper of human pretensions in here because ultimately it's not your grip on me, but it's my grip on you. So that when I do doubt, I know he doesn't let me go. Peter says, we believe, we won't ever leave you. And instead of Jesus affirming Peter, he says in verse 70, Jesus answered them, did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. One of them is the devil. A slanderer. A liar. A false accuser. And isn't it wild that Jesus still chooses him to be part of the twelve? And Jesus knows that he's going to do what he's going to do. He knows it ahead of time. I chose you. And so don't rest on your, your belief of me, for not even all of you do believe. And all of you are going to scatter anyways. And I feel like that should put shivers down our spine. Because whether how confident we are in our own belief and our own faith, there's still this, this question, am I Judas or am I Peter? This is why the unseen is always more dangerous than the seen. The unseen is always more dangerous than the seen. Now, it's why if you get cancer, it's so much better, and obviously we never want to get cancer, right? Never want to get it. But it's why it's so much better if it was a a gnarly-looking growth on your arm or your leg that you can see than if it was an unseen monster that's wrapping itself around all of your internal organs that you don't know about until it's too late. The unseen is dangerous. You don't know what you don't know anything about it. The seen you can you can you can deal with it. You can you can you're going to address it. And that's why I think non-Christianity is actually a safer place to be than false Christianity. And it 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 it's hard to it's hard for us to believe that. Because obviously neither are great places to be, right? But those that dropped out earlier, I think, are in a safer position than those that were still with Jesus, but actually didn't believe it. They just said they believed it. Why? Because if you outright reject Christianity, you're at least wrestling with its toughest sayings. Like, you're at least saying, man, Jesus does say some hard things. I don't know if I believe that. And then you can actually 
engage with what's the truth there. Instead of saying, yeah, yeah, I believe. And then one day you realize someone confronts you and you go, oh, maybe I don't believe any of that. And you're not ready for it. Or maybe you die and you've never actually, actually wrestled with these things. It's kind of like an old school vending machine. Some of them have cards now. But the old school ones, they have to put the coins in, right? What happens if you put a coin in and the, the, the drink doesn't come down? The, the spiral thing doesn't even move. Or the, 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 the bag of chips or the candy doesn't even move. You put a coin in the vending machine, what happened? And it didn't work. The coin went in, but it didn't drop all the way down to signify that you, you can now get your, your prize, right? I think that's a picture of, of false Christianity. That you, you've heard the truths, but the penny never drops. Like you've never actually taken it in and, and wrestled with it and said, I do believe this. And, and some of the best times in my life is when I'm, I get to engage with some of y'all and that you're like, the penny finally dropped. <laughs> I finally understand it. I finally believe it. Like I used to think scriptures were boring, but they're coming to life. Or, or I, I used to just constantly have to fight off with, with this person, this person, this person. But I'm looking at the way Jesus interacts with these people, and it's given me life. It's given me joy in the midst of suffering, because I know that Jesus has gone through suffering. The penny finally drops. What happens if you, you put that coin in, and you don't do anything, and it doesn't come out? What do you do? What's your, what's your response when you put the, the, the coin in? You push it. Yeah, you push it. Maybe some of us are shaking, right? That is the life of the false Christianity. You're, it feels like your, your whole life is constantly shaking because you've, you've, you've said you accepted it, but you haven't actually agreed with the deepest truths of it. And so the penny hasn't dropped, and so now you're not even getting the benefits of being a Christian. And your whole life feels like it's constantly shaking, and there's, there's no stable ground for you. And so I, I just, I pray that every one of us wrestles with things so that the penny finally drops. And I want to see how tragically beautiful this passage is because everyone ultimately leaves Jesus at some point. Everyone quits Jesus in the Gospels. Everyone at some point quits him. But notice that Jesus never quits on them. Jesus, knowing Judas will betray him, knowing that Peter will leave him too, and yet Jesus walks towards his destiny with his eyes wide open. He is like a sheep led to the slaughter. He knows that they're going to betray him, and yet he still walks forward. Jesus knows what it's going to take to save them, and he willingly goes for it. When you hear of a love like that, like it, it demands a response. When you hear a love like that, it demands a response of, of what, what are you going to do? Will you believe or will you not? At some point, you just have to make a decision and, and, and engage with this. Like, am I going to follow or am I going to fall away? If you don't believe, I just say be honest with it. Wrestle with the truths here. Because I know a Savior who leaves the 99 for the one. Even if you do walk away, he'll come after you. Because in this beautiful... At the moment of Jesus' greatest degradation, of his most shame, is the same moment of his glorification, <laughs> is the same moment of our victory. 
that when we watch him go to his death, and it, it's, it's a picture of our betrayal, it's a picture of our, our unbelief, when, when all of humanity collectively said, we don't believe, and we kill him, and yet he still goes forward for us. Oh, it's beautiful what Jesus does for us, his love for us, and that should change us. And I just feel this truth is, is so radical that you either have to outright reject it or finally fully embrace it and let it work upon you. Let scripture read you. Let the words of life be life for you. I think there's a lot of joy. There's a lot of pain as well. The life of faith is belief and doubt and grace all at once. Will you come to him? Maybe you've never made that decision. We're not going to do the, the old school walk the aisle thing here this morning. But maybe this is a morning for you to make a decision. Maybe you've never made that decision. And I pray you do make it today. Maybe you felt like you made it at one point and you just said, I don't know if I really even believe this. You felt like you're maybe in that, that, that fake Christianity camp. I'd love to talk with you after service. I'd love to pray with you. There's a great book called, uh, or the, there's that, that saying about like when, um, you know, I asked Jesus in my heart, and there's a book that says, uh, stop asking Jesus into your heart. No. <laughs> because it's not just a one-time event, right? It is a continual grind, and it's a journey. <laughs> you know, just do it once, and you're good, right? We ask that the penny would drop, but we also ask that you would walk on this journey with us. And so if you do have those questions, you do want to talk, I'd love to talk with you, pray with you, answer hard questions, and wrestle with, with it with you. Let's pray.